We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're projecting the Washington Commanders and Tennessee Titans on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at Rotoviz. Curtis and I were planning on recording on Tuesday night, June 20th, but there are some massive Wi Fi issues at his residence in Ohio. As a result of that, I am going to be talking to you on my own. And we are going to be starting to work our way through some team-wide projections. Uh, this is an exercise that we will often do on the show each year. Uh, I've talked about it a lot and the way that I do it. So I apologize for those of you that have been with us for some time now and, and heard me talk about this before. I'm going to quickly break down the way that we go about building projections at Rotoviz, and then we'll use Washington and Tennessee to kind of get our head around what that looks like when we actually work our way through the process. And then as the summer moves along, we'll talk about other teams and along the way, you know, maybe we'll stop some here and there and reflect just on where players across all teams are our landing and how the pieces are coming together for the particular season that we're in. So the first thing that I always talk about with projections, and if you've heard me say before, I still think it's a good reminder is that the actual projections that come out of a projection process are not really that useful. I don't care who is doing them and how good they are at doing them. The actual value of a projection comes from going through the process of building those projections and understanding the different ways in which the team might operate in the given year and the different ways in which it might utilize a particular player. An offshoot of that might be the ways in which a particular player could succeed or fail in a given year and understanding 
if some major change in a team happens, what the downstream effect of that might be. Because no matter how you go about framing your projection process in your head, you're ending up at one scenario. Maybe you think it's the most likely scenario, but again, it's only one scenario. And as we've learned over the years, you don't want to be thinking about one scenario. You want to be basing your decision-making off of many different scenarios and understanding how those might interplay with each other. So if you're drafting entirely off of something that you know is going to be wrong because you know your projections are going to be wrong, even when you're trying to be conservative, projections still end up being better than they should in so many cases. And the reason for that is simple. If you're going for what feels like the most likely outcome, you're not building in many edge cases. You kind of can't do that if you're trying to make something that gives you a reasonable idea of what you can expect because you really can't build in the things that you can't expect into one final projection. So as we talk about Washington, uh, right now at the current time, it looks like Sam Howell is going to be the presumed starter. Well, if Howell gets injured in week three and Brissett comes in, that has an impact on how you might go about structuring things for Washington. Uh, or if it turns out that Chris Rodriguez is really good and with the changes in the coaching staff, uh, with Eric Bienemy coming into the fold and he really wants to use Antonio Gibson, then Brian Robinson could be evaporated uh, or what you might expect for him could be evaporated, at which point then you're operating under a whole different set of assumptions uh, if you were to know that. So there's a very significant cascading effect to all of these inputs that are going in. As a result, I think that in general, and this probably isn't a great thing to say uh, from the perspective of trying to get people to consume my content because what I do for the site and I'll get to why it's valuable for a large portion of the summer is work on and refine projections. Um, where was I going with this? Right. The actual value in that final set pales in comparison to what we ascertain from actually going through the process. And that's because as we work our way through the process, like I said, you're seeing the things that can make or break it for a player or for a team uh, from the perspective of scoring fantasy points. But the good thing that does come from it is as I'm going through, I'm making notes on this that I'm sharing with the team. Um, they are looking at and considering some of the assumptions that I'm making and, and they're getting an insight into that. And the final set that I do give out, I think is probably one of the stronger ones across the industry for a couple of reasons. A, the way that we put it together, which is very sound, B, the fact that I am making sure that I am basing players in a historical context, meaning that I understand pretty well how all of these inputs interact and what would be reasonable uh, for a team that's looking like it's going to go maybe a seven-win season and the wide receiver three on that team. What's a realistic band 
of what that player's target share might look like. That's kind of a cherry picked example, but like I've said before, you know, a lot goes, goes into understanding the play levels that you could expect uh, for a particular team. When you finish your projection, understanding what seems like a realistic band of touchdown or total touchdowns, passing touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, rushing yards that this team could have. So you're basing it uh, in a th- process that has been thoroughly thought out in your understanding. Now, the other thing that I'm focusing on as I'm doing it is not necessarily pinning down exactly the number of passing yards that Patrick Mahomes is going to have, but setting things up in a way where I'm getting a good understanding in your typical outcome where Mahomes would finish relative to other players. Uh, so that's that's an important caveat. So the other reason that I think projections can not have the value of other items is if people that are consuming the projections don't understand some of the things that I just mentioned, it's very easy for them to get tied to those projections, regardless of what site you're looking at. Even if you're in the draft room sometimes and you see player A has a projection of 250 next to his name and player B has a projection of 235. It's easy to, in your head, view player A as the better player. When if you went back and you looked at that range of outcomes, like we always talk about, you might see that there's a more compelling reason to go ahead and pick player B. Uh, Maybe there's more upside scenarios or in the context of the team that you're drafting, they make more points. So that's, that's some of the reasons that projections can be dangerous. Again, I apologize if you've been with us on the site or listening to the podcast for a number of years to have to rehash all of this. But I think that they are worthwhile things for those of you that might be new to the site to hear, or even people that have been with us for a while just to have rehashed. So how do I go about putting these together? You set the play volumes a couple of, maybe a month or two ago, we talked about how you get um, an assessment for a team of what might be a reasonable expectation for passing or for total volume. You divide that up into rushing attempts, passing attempts. You then divide those out. We do it on a percentage basis down to the positions underneath those. Then you assign efficiency to players. So for example, if I am looking at the Washington commanders, I'm seeing that their 2022 record, they went eight, eight and one in that season under head coach Ron Rivera they passed 571 times rushed 549 times and were 61 plays above the league average uh interestingly if you look across the last 3 years for the commanders they have had pretty drastic changes uh given that in 2020 they were 50 plays above league above league average sunk down to under by 14 in 2021. They came back up to 61 over in 2022. If you start to think about what this team might look like this year, you have Eric Bieniemy coming in as the offensive coordinator, which I mentioned now is a little bit hard to take what he was doing in Kansas city, in my opinion, and assign that to Washington Uh, where he had a very aggressive pass to rush ratio, generally passing approximately 60% of the time, rushing 40% of the time. And the reason for that is 
you were operating with one of the most skilled offenses, one of the best offenses in the league in a team that was going to win a lot of games. As a result of that, we have to kind of temper some of that when we're thinking about what this team could do this year. So I do think that we see a team that operates somewhat similar to how it was last year. Maybe we see a little bit of an improvement overall, uh, but I'm not going to, in this projection, I'm thinking about most likely outcomes, really change things for Washington drastically. I have them in the projection we're going to walk through going 41 plays above average, fairly even split between passing and rushing, passing 583 times, rushing 508 times. That does allow them to creep up a little bit in pass to rush percentage, um, but doesn't really get things to the level that you saw for the enemy in Kansas City. We're assuming that Sam Howell is the team's quarterback and that he rushes somewhere around 8% of the time. So not taking too many rushing attempts away from the running backs on his offense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, one of the things that you could look at would be, and this is if you're using the projection machine, you can go back and you can see in the prior year, the percentage of times that you had a particular player it can be any position rushing. So last year, Sam Howell did have approximately 13% of a rushing market share when he was in the total quarterback for the team was at 0.1%. So I had said 0.8, but once you look at that, maybe you'd say, all right, I'm going to bump that up to like 12%. And then from there, you know that you have 88% of rushing attempts left that you can sign across the team. If I were to do that, I'm expecting Brian Robinson Jr. to come out with around 53% of the team's rushes but ultimately somewhere between 50 to 55. I think that the lower level backs on the team probably get under a combined total of 11%. And you end up with Antonio Gibson somewhere between 20 to 25% of the carries. As a result of that, I think that what you're looking at is a situation where you have Robinson 
getting somewhere between like 245 to maybe 270 rushing attempts. Antonio Gibson, maybe somewhere between 110 to 135 rushing attempts. If they were to have a year in which both of them were playing a full complement of games. Now, the next thing you would have to do is assign the target percentages. Um, Robinson, not nearly as involved in the passing game as Gibson. Last year, we did see Antonio Gibson record a target share of 12%. He's progressively creeped up each year that he's been in Washington. If you looked at the younger player here in Robinson, you would see that he's going to be down a lot closer to around 5%. So you're probably going to have a target share for these two backs where Gibson could get to somewhere around 65 targets, give or take. You're going to have Robinson Jr. down closer to 30. You'd build in your assumptions for yards per carry. Um, I try not to get too radical with these. You're really only getting to a higher or low end when there's a significant reason to expect that this player is going to be in a band that falls outside of your normal territory. Um, in what I, in what I'm expecting this year, I would imagine that you're going to have a couple of receiving touchdowns for Antonio Gibson, not too many rushing touchdowns given the information we have at this point. So I don't see him going for more than like five total touchdowns in that typical scenario. There's definitely upside though, for him to improve on that. If you make some shifts in the rushing attempts, or if this team does pass more than expected or have more passing touchdowns than expected as things stand now, I only have Sam Howell putting up around 22 passing touchdowns. Um, I think it'd be very successful year for him from a passing touchdown perspective, if he could get to 27. So, Overall, for Washington, I do think that you can see Brian Robinson getting to 1,000 yards, maybe seven rushing touchdowns, add in a receiving touchdown, and you're looking for a player that's going to put up, you know, maybe 1,200 total yards and eight touchdowns. Gibson, the picture doesn't come out quite as rosy for him on the numbers that I have now. Under 500 rushing yards, just three total touchdowns, which that probably is too low. Uh, you add in maybe somewhere around 400 receiving yards, 50 or so receptions. And like I said, there's room for upside. But if things were to go kind of the, you know, conservative or whatever you want to label this projection, I would kind of say like the baseline projection. It doesn't really look too great for Antonio Gibson. Um my takeaway from working through these teams is that there's more downside to Robinson and more upside for Gibson um, than you ascertain if you're just thinking through things from, from the perspective of trying to build that likelier baseline case. As far as the wide receivers go, Terry McLaurin, um, I would imagine, retains a pretty sizable portion of the team's receiving targets. Uh, if we look across the last couple of seasons, we'll see that his target share has been very healthy. Uh, last year it was at 23%, 24%. It's actually been at 23% every year that he's been there. 
uh, with Dotson there kind of emerging. I don't see that taking away too strong of a percentage. So I have McLaurin with about 25% of targets. I think that no matter how you slice things for this team this year, we do see McLaurin getting to somewhere above 140 targets. If you manipulate things, you probably see him realistically between 135 to 165. Given historical rates for his catch percentage, his receiving touchdown percentage, you're looking at somewhere around 1,300 yards and maybe six receiving touchdowns. It's a pretty good line for McLaurin. Um, my guess is when I'm all when all is said and done in my projection process, that probably puts him somewhere in the range between wide receiver 14 to wide receiver 18. Um, Curtis and I talked a lot about Jahan Dotson last year and the year that he had being pretty impressive for a rookie wide receiver. I think that you probably see him somewhere around a target share of 18%. You could move the needle on that a little bit, but really he's going to be somewhere around 100 targets. I think there's a possibility he gets to somewhere between 900 to 1,000 yards and put up around five receiving touchdowns. So that would probably land him somewhere in the range of, and actually I'll pull this up pretty quickly off the top of my head. I'm expecting that you're going to see it somewhere uh in late wide receiver two territory um yeah actually probably a little bit worse probably coming in as like wide receiver 40 um as far as the rest of the players on this offense go i don't think that there's anybody else that stands out as somebody that we need to talk about i think that most of the upside on this team does reside between mclaurin dotson and Gibson though I liked Sam Howell as a prospect coming in I don't I don't see a scenario where you can paint a very uh or a picture that makes him one of those late round quarterbacks that you might be going after uh, as having significant upside so that is the commanders We're kind of working I've been working my way through things last uh this year starting with the last letter of the alphabet um you don't really care about that, uh, but I'm saying that's why we're looking at Washington and Tennessee as they were the first two teams I did this year. So last year, they only won seven games. In those games, they tended to, as one would expect, try to use Derrick Henry as much as they could. We saw the team go 83 plays below league average last year rushing 501 times to 475 passing attempts now some of that does have to do with the health of ryan Tannehill. in the years prior to that we saw them go 51 plays above league average in 2021 in 2020 they were at 37 but they have maintained a split where they're rushing maybe one or two percent more than they are passing as a result of this i think that this is a team even with Ryan Tannehill back or perhaps uh, the rookie coming in in some games and actually in my projection for the Titans, I have split things out so that you have a 65-35% split in terms of passing attempts, really playing time here, in my mind, between Tannehill and Levis. To keep things kind of conservative, I have the team at 50 
plays lower than average, a 50-50 split between rushing and passing, giving them approximately 500 rushing attempts, 500 passing attempts. I'd be surprised if we had a scenario. In my mind, I don't think that if I'm making adjustments to those volumes, I'm shooting up either too drastically. There are some offenses where you could see things really shooting up um, across the range of outcomes you might build for a team. In my opinion, Tennessee is pretty locked in in somewhere around those zones that I mentioned at 500 for rushing and passing attempts. Now, Derrick Henry, there's no question about it, is going to control a large portion of this team's rushing market share. He was at 75 in 2022, at 84 uh, in 2021, and really every year since 2019 has been at or above 73%. I have dropped things down a little bit this year. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. But I think that having a share of 66% for Derrick Henry with 6% of the targets feels more reasonable than maintaining that 74% share when we see that the team did go in, added Spears in the draft where Derrick Henry is at this point in his career and the fact that this team has a pretty significant rushing volume in comparison to others. So though I am dropping him down, uh, you still have around 330 rushing attempts, which is a very healthy share in 16 games last year with 75% of the rushes. He recorded 350 rushes. So we end with a decrease of around 20. Uh, so nothing too drastic there. Still gets him to around 1,350 yards, have him slated for more than four yards per carry, uh, 3% of his rushing carries going for touchdowns, gets him to a 10-touchdown season, adding 21 receptions. Despite having some share going to Spears, the rookie in a projection like this, you're not able to really get him anything of significance. So he's another player that might be more interesting outside of the confines of a projection because of the fact that this is a team that does have the propensity to run the ball. If they need to rely or they elect to get their RB2 a little bit more involved this year, that does give him more runway uh, than other backs in similar spots might have. Wide receivers a little bit dicier. This year, the team does not really have many wide receivers of con consequence outside of Traylon Burks. If we look at what Traylon Burks did last year, we'll see that he had a target share of around 18%. I would expect that we see a pretty nice bump in this this year because we're not expecting guys like Kyle Phillips, uh, Chris Moore, some of these other wide receivers to really command high target shares. As a result of that, you can very realistically get Traylon Burks up to around 23% of Tennessee's passing targets, which in my baseline here gets him to 115. Now, what happens if we say that that number shoots up? Maybe it could get as high as 28%. Well, Keeping in mind that we only have those 500 targets, and as I said, 23% of 
on 500 is 115. If you moved it up to 28%, you're only getting him up to 140 targets. And that's on a pretty significant jump. Even with a touchdown rate of 7%, which would be pretty impressive, you'd have a line where Burks is only getting to 1,100 yards, six receiving touchdowns. Now, sure, you could also see a bump up in those receiving touchdowns, but that might be where you're getting outside of a typical progression. So there is some upside for Burks, but not as much as you might see with other teams' wide receiver ones. On top of that, I'm a little bit leery of how things would look if you had Levis factoring into more of these games. So in the baseline projection for Burks, you really don't get a nice story. Um, you need a lot of things to break correctly. So he and Jahan Dotson um, in baseline projections are fairly similarly positioned. Um, I would argue, though, that overall there might be a little bit more upside there for Traylon Burks uh, because it is possible that he can mesh with Tannehill, that Tannehill still has some left in the tank, and that Burks might be as good as we had originally thought, which if he were and you saw an increase in that market share, he could outplay um, that initial wide receiver ranking that we see in this exercise by maybe 15 to 16 spots. Now, Chega Conquo is, to me, the most interesting player outside of Henry and Burks that's on the team. Last year, he saw 11% of targets. I think we could see a little bit of a bump in that this year, uh, but it's not going to get to somewhere around 18% of the team targets. As a result of that, this is a player that's probably capped somewhere around 85 targets, more likely to finish somewhere between maybe 55 to 70, even with a solid catch rate, a 10% touchdown rate. You're only looking at a guy that's going for maybe four or five touchdowns under 600 receiving yards and is probably going to struggle to get to 50 receptions. Again, assuming that things don't break very differently than we would expect. As a result of that, and I've seen him going around tight end 13 in a lot of best ball drafts, he's probably going to fall outside of the top 20. So probably an overpriced player at this point. And I don't think that you see a significant amount of upside for him. So that was one of my takeaways from this process. So hopefully... This kind of rehashes the process that we use, talks about some of the pitfalls of projections, and has given you a bit of a window into how things might play out or the different ways in which they could play out for Washington and Tennessee as we head into 2023. We'll try to work our way through the rest of these teams. I think these conversations work out nicely for episodes where Curtis can't join. Um, so this will be my default plan uh, for the solo pods that I do as we work our way into the 2023 season. Uh, as always, thank you for hanging out with me for a bit. Hope you learned something and we will see you later in the week. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. 
follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.